Welcome back to another episode of Diversity on Fire. This is your host, Heather. Our goal is to inspire you to think more deeply and act with more knowledge and compassion. We'll do this by sharing our open conversations on all types of diversity-related topics. Joining me today is Sam Thiara. Sam is an author, speaker, educator, storyteller, and he is committed to the betterment of communities, which he's actually even won several awards for all of his contributions. Um, He's also the founder and chief motivating officer at Ignite the Dream Coaching and Consulting. Welcome to the show, Sam. Thank you so much, Heather. I look forward to being able to share some insights and uh, hopefully your, your listeners take something away. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you do have a lot to share. And I, um, you know, before the show, we kind of talked about, we're going to focus kind of on one area, but feel free to go off on tangents because I know you've got a lot of experience and a wealth of knowledge. Before we kind of dig into the topic that we're going to touch on, which is going to be identity, can you tell us a little bit more about Sam? Like what's your cultural background and, you know, what would your friends and family describe you as? Yeah, no, that's a, a, a interesting place because oftentimes, and when I teach uh, at university or speak at conferences, oftentimes I'm always sharing with regards to the fact that uh, we focus on what we do versus who we are. And I want to open up the dialogue with people to help them realize it's more significant to start focusing on who they are. So here's a way that I can best describe now. Normally, you know, as you've described, he's a speaker, storyteller, you know, a mentor and a coach and all of these things that I do. But here's how I would identify and describe who Sam is. I'm an individual who's guided by five core elements, servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. Those five things have enabled me to help individuals, teams, organizations, educational institutions, and nonprofits to their pinnacle best. But that's also helped me to become the speaker and storyteller, author, blogger, mentor and a coach, problem solver, educator, entrepreneur, and community activator. So, you know, that's who I am. But equally at the same time, you know, there's that, like you said, that diversity piece, there's that layer in there. So visibly, I look like someone who might come from South Asia, like India, Pakistan, or uh, Afghanistan, but I've grown up in Vancouver, born in England. And oftentimes, you know, people will oftentimes not look at the, the visible side and, you know, they know your presence and who you are. But equally at the same time, there are numerous times where people would be, what part of India are you from? And that becomes a conversation and a dialogue. It's so interesting, isn't it? We, we, um, So our audience is going to be hearing this only. They won't see you. Mm -hmm. And so even just if if you're on the phone with somebody um, and then they have any sort of a different accent. So to me, your accent is is very Canadian. Mm -hmm. Um, But any sort of accent, it's almost like we put an identity on them that we have formed in our head, which is just, it's so interesting. Um, So for you, what would you say, and this might be a hard one, but what would Mm -hmm. you say your friends and family would say about you as a descriptor? Yeah, they would say he's an individual who uh, cares about people. He's an individual who is a doer, 
with regards to anything. In fact, earlier today, I had a friend over and she said, one thing that I will say about you is, you know, you don't just say it, you actually activate and do it. And oftentimes it's because there's that alignment to those five things that I shared with you at the beginning. So I'm an individual who really works towards trying to improve community and society. I feel that I've been given a lot and the idea is that I've been given a lot so that I can share with others to help in their journey or the community. And they will also say, which I've equally said myself, is I'm not a bystander in life. Uh, if there's something that is a problem or needs to be fixed, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to dedicate and do what it takes to get things done. Uh, part of the reason why I've worked with about 50 nonprofits to date, just again, to really help them to see things from a different perspective than the uh, continuum of what a nonprofit would do. So yeah, somebody who's dedicated, gives back, caring, um, you know, wants to see either the individual community or organizations flourish and grow. I actually was reading, you have a recent, well, semi-recent within the last few months blog post about winning the lottery. Yes. And you posed this question at the beginning of, is it better mm -hmm. to have never won the lottery yeah. or to have won the lottery, but not cashed in the ticket? And then, of course, you go on to kind of describe this situation more as like an every not an actual lottery ticket, yeah. right? Not actual money, but yeah. but the opportunities that we pass by or potentially pass by. Can you can you share a little bit more with us on your thoughts there? Absolutely. So the post, as you mentioned, is winning the lottery but losing the ticket. And what I mean by that is not, and again, not that one that you go to the grocery store and hope you win the millions. <clears throat> it's those interactions and situations that emerge where someone is there willing to help you or you come into contact with somebody. So for example, nine times out of 10, I'll go, you know, if I'm at a restaurant and I'm talking to someone and I've mentored and coached a lot of people, about 5,000 conversations to date. And this was maybe about a month ago. I was at a restaurant, a person's at university about to graduate, uh, criminology, and I said, well, you know, here's this person that I know who's running this organization in criminal justice. And, you know, I think you really need to speak with this person. Uh, she was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And I told her about uh, the things that I do with regards to helping and supporting the young person's journey. And she took my contact information. She said, you know, I really need to. This is important stuff. Uh, took my contact information. I even provided my name so she can check it out on LinkedIn and it's not somebody random that uh, she has to worry about. And I never heard back from her. And this happens more times than you would believe. It's nine times out of 10. Uh, the, the, the way this resonated with me at the very first time was, you know, a few years back. I'm, you know, in downtown Vancouver in Canada and walking along the street and I ran into this one young chap and he was standing on the corner seemed like he was lost and I just said you know uh, you seem lost where are you going and he said oh I'm going to the Marriott Hotel and I said well you know what I'm going to the Coast Hotel it's right next door it's a beautiful day why don't you walk with me so we start walking and I'll show you where it is as we're walking I'm you know we start talking and I said I'm, I'm going to an event at Coast are you going to an event at Marriott and he said no no I'm you know just got here two weeks ago uh, did my tourism management piece. I'm going to drop my resume off at uh, the Marriott Hotel. 
I said, well, you know what? I know the people at Coast Hotels. I know someone at Holiday Inn and I know someone at the Shangri-La. Here's my card. Handed him the card. And I said, drop me a note and I'll put you in touch with these people. And he won the lottery. Nine times out of 10, I never heard back from him. Now, maybe he lost my card. Maybe he got a job. Maybe he just thought this is too good to be true. The idea, though, is even if you have the job, still drop a note to the person just to say, you know, I greatly appreciated that walk or that conversation. And you never know where those conversations lead. So winning the lottery, but losing the ticket. The flip side on this, Heather, is on the one out of 10 chance they reach out to you, I give them anything and everything. And I had one student of mine, after she uh, finished her semester with me, I just remember I got an email with her. And in the subject line, it just said, cashing in my lottery ticket. And then we're working together on a project because she's demonstrated to me that she took that initiative. So yeah, make sure you cash in those lottery tickets or those opportunities as they come up because it's so important. I'm curious just because when I think about this, these the examples that you're giving feel so obvious as to why that person would take that next step. And I I know you're being generous with saying, you know, maybe they lost the business card, maybe they already have, you know, do you have any further insight or maybe just straight up opinion as to why so many people never step through that door? Is it insecurity? Is it distrust? I think it's a combination of things, or it, or it could be different reasons. Some of it, you know, and my students have said, yeah, no, you're intimidating. And it's not from a standpoint of, you know, uh, you know that I could be scary. They're just like, you know, you've done so much. What am I going to, you know, I feel very small. I said, no, that's not the case. Don't ever feel small compared to me. I'm a I'm an average guy who's had extraordinary experiences. So I try to always bring that to the to the level or you know i also one thing share with people is we're never anyone's priority so i give them my card and you know oftentimes you know we will reach out to somebody or you know you send a message to someone they haven't responded back within five hours and you're like well you know what's going on here why are they not responding my realization is we are no one's priority. We are our own priority. And maybe the person, you know, who takes that, they get busy in their life and, you know, they might forget and it just is a fleeting moment. That's also happened. Um, I think it also could be, you know, this part of their, not so much distrust, but this idea that, you know, why is this person helping me? You know, and maybe they might be used to, you know, not somebody stepping up to say, well, here, I'm here to support and guide you, uh, you know, and especially in a small conversation time frame, they may be saying, yeah, no, it's it might be too good to be true. I think it it just could be any one of those reasons. Yeah, the, I, I can I can see that last mm-hmm. one as something mm-hmm. that I could possibly be personally guilty of, of mm-hmm. not uh, not knowing necessarily how to accept the help when you're not used to being offered it. So mm-hmm. that's uh, certainly something that resonates. So y- mm-hmm. you're right, though. You never know what anyone's. It just feels just yeah. so overwhelming that that so many people would would walk away for, from that opportunity. 
Well, and and Heather, to that point, I mean, the reason why I do what I do, which is reach out, talk to so many people, having those all of those conversations to date, I do about three to eight of these conversations a week. Is I didn't have uh, anybody there to guide and support me, and you know, I had a bumpy ride, and as a result of it, I don't want people to go through what I went through. So, if there's something I can do to uh, to support or help, I will. Saying that, you know, I, I don't want them to go through the extent of the setbacks I've had, but I also believe we need to have setbacks. I mean, obstacles are the necessary bricks on the road to success. Uh, you do need to have those setbacks, but if I can help you to better prepare and brace for that setback, then that's what my objective is. I love that. And I, I saw on your website, it was noted um, one of your favorite saying, or maybe your favorite saying is that everyone's life is an autobiography. Yeah. Make yours mm-hmm. worth reading. And um, mm-hmm. it's true. If you think about, if you think about and approach mm-hmm. life that way, if you intentionally look at it through that lens, wow, what a different way you would walk through the world. Yeah. Well, every one of us is a living autobiography. We all are stories that are there. And, you know, and again, so many times I run into people saying, what, my story? No, no one's interested in my story or it's not that important. And I'm like, no, it is. I mean, this is who you are. And, you know, you're building it, you know, chapter by chapter, page by page. And, I've also said that uh, this is where I did my first TEDx speech, which was on discovering the extraordinary in the ordinary. In other words, we live in what we believe to be ordinary, our routine every day, but embedded in those ordinary are the extraordinary experiences. If you only peel that onion skin away and in that uh, first TEDx speech, because I was asked to you know, present. And I thought, okay, I'll do it on storytelling. And people said, well, how do you break down a story? Like, how do you make that? How do you discover that extraordinary in the ordinary? And I came up with this concept that I call carpe as in carpe diem sees the day, but carpe is what I do. So carpe stands for curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspectives, experience. Curiosity is very important because that's where you go through life And something stops you because you are more observant of it. So that's where curiosity is, is having that radar on maybe walking a different way to work or, you know, taking a, a, you know, trying a new recipe or something. But curiosity just stops you. But then once it stops you, you appreciate things for more than what they are. And you reflect on it and you add purpose and meaning to it. And Adding more purpose and meaning is through our own perspectives of our own journey of what we've experienced. And the last thing is capturing it as an experience. If we don't capture an experience, our story will die an untimely death and it will never be a story that is there to be told. And I'll give you an example of how you can discover the extraordinary in the ordinary and how it it can be so significant. I mean, One thing I do is I hand out puzzle pieces. So what I'm holding up is a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. And I give this to an individual. And when I give it to an individual, I say, what can you do with one piece? And they look at it and they say, well, not much. It's just one piece. And I said, okay, this is what you feel like. You feel like that single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. You don't know where you fit in. You don't know what the bigger picture is. It's ordinary. 
but that's because we're looking at it as ordinary. But right before your eyes, I'm going to transform it to make it extraordinary. Because instead of focusing on the single piece of a jigsaw puzzle, I have a satchel in my hand. And in the satchel are multiple puzzle pieces. This is my puzzle. If I hand you this single piece of a jigsaw puzzle, my puzzle is permanently incomplete without you. I can't finish it. It's a reminder of how important an individual is. No one piece is more important than another. But what it does is it says my puzzle, as an individual, can't be complete without you. And Heather, I've had people tell me, it's taped to my mirror. It reminds me someone told me how much I matter. It's traveled in backpacks. It's in wallets around the world. I get people showing me at events, look, I still have your puzzle piece. And I gave it years ago. I've given about 5,000 pieces to date to remind people how important they are. But that's where, that's an example of taking something ordinary and making it extraordinary because I've looked at it from a different way. Oh, that is amazing. I love that idea. Now, I want to I wanna mm-hmm. shift us a little bit and, and focus on the identity because I think yeah. what we're talking about now and, and appreciating ourselves yeah. as that lost, pu- not, or, or excuse me, not lost puzzle piece, but as that lone puzzle piece that does in fact belong to a greater, mm-hmm. greater puzzle, specifically identity, but cultural identity can be really challenging. And the conversations that I have with a lot of people here uh, emphasizes that uh, because we are all trying to find our way and how we fit in. Um, you recently, um, with your, well, your most recent book, I should say, mm-hmm. which is called Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. Mm-hmm you explore that for yourself. Can you share a little bit about that journey, your own journey there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so I'm a British-born Canadian. My parents come from Fiji Islands, which is near Australia. And my grandfathers and my ancestors come from India. And it's always interesting because growing up in in Canada, I mean, I moved to Canada when I was a a wee lad from from England. And, you know, you're Canadian. I mean... We play hockey, we um, eat hot dogs, and when we skin our knees, we bleed maple syrup. I mean, that's I'm Canadian. And the thing is, all of a sudden, you get either beat up in school because you're, no, you're not Canadian, you're Indian. Or, you know, people will ask you, well, what part of India are you from? And I'm like, well, actually, I was born in England, raised in Canada. And they're like, no, no, your parents, what part of India are they from? Well, my parents come from Fiji Islands. And then they're like, wait, so are you Indian? Well, my grandparents and grandfathers are Indian. And then the flip side where people say, well, you're not really Indian, you're Canadian. So it's like, okay, to some I'm not Canadian, to some I'm not Indian. And, you know, it was an interesting process because growing up as as a young boy, I mean, I pushed my Indian identity away because I thought, no, I'm Canadian. I have to be Canadian. And I think, uh, again, in high school, same thing, like, you know, there was only maybe a a handful out of like 500 students, maybe about 10 visible minorities. And we never saw ourselves as a visible minority because, you know, we do all the things that everyone else does until you get beat up or somebody calls you a name. Uh, It was interesting because it's when I got to university and I saw a more global audience that things had shifted and changed for me because now I had uh, people here, international students from India, Pakistan, 
Afghanistan. And, you know, now they're sharing with me their, their culture, their uh, food. And I'm thinking, am I missing something here? I mean, yeah, at, at home, my mom would cook some of the food or, you know, you would go to a religious ceremony, but you're not really sure what it's about, or you're just waiting for it to be over uh, any number of things. So it, it was always there and it was always on the side, but it was never present. The way I describe it as an analogy is the awakening that I had is if let's say a duck's egg rolls into a swan's nest and that egg hatches with all the other swans, you know, uh, you're a swan, even though you're a duck, but you're a swan and you do everything that a swan would do until one day you see a reflection in the water and you're like, wait, and you look over to the swans and you look at yourself and you're like, no, I'm, I'm different. So for me, it was like when I got to university and this larger, much more global audience, I suddenly felt a need to explore more about my identity. And the thing was, I had always segmented my identity. So I'm British, Canadian, Fijian, Indian. It was always segmented. So, you know, when I'm in school or university playing hockey, well, I'm Canadian. Uh, if I'm at a religious ceremony with uh, family members, well, then I'm Fijian. But, um, you know, it was always one of these things. So I just decided I need to go to India because I've traveled, but I want to go to India to explore my identity, to, to realize, you know, this part that may be missing. I think the waiting pool for me was my first trip to Fiji because when I went to Fiji all of a sudden half the population is native Fijian half the population is Indian Fijian and I'm walking around going like oh my gosh these people are just like me and it was it was one of those moments where you're like you know I can somewhat speak the language uh you know but they sort of look like me I can understand everything everyone is saying even in their own language, because my parents, even though I wasn't formalized in speaking Hindi, I could understand it. But it was one of those things that I decided, okay, I need to go to India, but there was a dual purpose. One was, help me realize this Indian identity and, you know, capture that essence of it. And the other part was to go find my ancestral roots, because we were that separated. Uh, We didn't know where our ancestral roots were. We just knew the the country, the the state of Punjab, but we didn't know where the village was. So I had a faded photograph, very little information. And yeah, I embarked upon a journey to find my identity and find my village. And the best way for me to describe it is I was a foreigner going to a land that should not be foreign to me in search of a needle in a haystack and not even sure where the haystack was. It's interesting you said you used to segment your identities. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's really, really common. And I wonder how much of that has to do with us trying to place ourselves or maybe place ourselves isn't the right word. Um, Basically trying to meet up to the external factors or the societal expectations as you mentioned, you know, because of how you look, that's going to give you to, to others, that's going to put you in this category that you might not even consider yourself in. Yeah. Um, do you think that segmenting is connected to us trying to fit in? I think the segmenting is out of convenience because uh, what we find is, you know, it's easy to 
describe or understand who we are just by segmenting ourselves or compartmentalizing ourselves, it makes it much more easier and simpler than, you know, putting it as a complicated watercolor where the colors are all blending together. It's easier to just uh, visualize or or make it visible where, yeah, no, I'm, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, uh, or, you know, it just makes it more simplified. And I think that, you know, People will sometimes, and it depends on the peer groups as well, because oftentimes what I see is the real challenges also are immigrant parents with kids that were either grew up here or they were born here because one foot is in the old world, one is in the new world. The parents are putting pressure on them that, you know, this is what's important and you have to do this and this. And at the same time, they want to be carefree and more, you know, in line with what they want. And that's where the pushback happens. And, you know, why are we like this? And, you know, you know, so really it's more about trying to bridge that gap between that to help, you know, the parents better understand and appreciate that this, the, the times have changed. It's not, you know, you have to be a bit more easier on the young person, but the young person, open your mind, open your heart to try to understand the journey your parents have taken, your ancestors have taken the beauty of what the cultural identity can bring. And that's where, when I was in India, the the realization or the epiphany I had was, um, was about that uh, significance of realizing that identity piece. And I can go into that if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. So I told you how I segmented. Now in Indian cooking, uh, there's a, a platter, we call it a tali. And a tali is this, platter where you have these segmented dishes. So I'm British, Canadian, Fijian, Indian. And I mean, I played in an Irish military pipe band. So maybe there's some Irish chutney in there too. So there's all of these segmented parts. But I remember when I was in India, I woke up literally at like four in the four in the morning because I was always trying to think about, you know, this whole aspect of, you know, being Indian or trying to go on this journey. And the epiphany was, and it, it really shook me, was I'm doing this all wrong. I see my life previously as a tali, this segmented platter, but actually I'm kichiri. Now, kichiri is a, is a rice dish in Indian cooking, and it's a blend of flavors. I guess it's the equivalent of an omelet. You go to your fridge, you find whatever ingredients, you mix it all up, and you enjoy it. Well, kichiri is a rice dish with all of these vegetables and things, you mix in the spices and the flavors. And, uh, but the idea is rather than segmenting, as soon as I realized that epiphany, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm kitchery and a blend of flavors. And I can embrace them all where, you know, I can be all of these at the same time, as opposed to really being segmented. And I think when that epiphany happened, it really helped me to appreciate and really embrace uh, my identity. And it was always so funny, Heather. I went to India to seek out my Indian identity. But what this made me realize is I was always Indian. First of all, I love that visual of, the, <laughs> of you know, it's kind of like if anybody can think of it as just a one pot meal, you know, you're, you're all of the things. I love that visual. It's important to note if you have thoughts on, because you had a very specific journey, a very intentional going to find, you know, your path to discovery 
what would you say to people who might not have that same mm-hmm. um, path, but might be struggling mm-hmm. with how to really find their true identity or, or should, should we maybe say not find it, but uncover it, mm-hmm. right? Cause it's already there. Yeah. To realize it. I mean, I've had people who I've talked to and, you know, when I said I was also going to seek my ancestral roots and that, uh, realizing that cultural identity and people said, well, that's really great that, you know, you went on this journey and this, um, you know, this quest and everything, but they're like, yeah, you know what, but I won't be able to do the same because, you know, uh, we've lost such a connection back to our roots and things like that. And I said, okay, then this one gentleman in particular was from Sicily. And I remember he said, yeah, no, we, we don't know anything about it. But my, my thing to him was, you know, the journey I went on, was my journey. I said, well, have you been to Sicily? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I said, when you were in Sicily, did did, did you feel a connection to this place? Did it resonate? And he said, well, yeah, it did, but I didn't find my village or my, my, you know, where I needed to find. But no, I, I, I did connect to this place and it sort of felt, you know, like this was part of me. And I said, you just did the same thing I did. But you need to be more open to it, the fact that we all have different experiences and we do capture it. I mean, part of it is uh, travel is such an important piece in, in our journey and in our life because that opens up our eyes and our minds and our hearts to each other. And, you know, when people look at, okay, well, you know, I could, you know, spit into a tube and the DNA test comes back and, uh, you know, it, it tells me I'm this. Well, Now you've got something that can potentially tell you, okay, this is a breakdown. And then maybe if it says, you know, you're part Scottish, well, you know what, go to Scotland. Now that you know that part of you belongs to Scotland, uh, go there and see if it, if you connect to that place and, you know, embrace it for, for, you know, what it is. And going back to what you said about this identity piece, um, I always share with people about, you know, really realizing who you are. And the way that I get people to to do this exercise is I ask them, uh, you know, to build a house, we need a solid foundation. To build a life, we need a solid foundation. We even pay somebody money to check our house foundation, but we don't really do that with our lives. And I asked them, I said, you know, what are the five things that you are not willing to compromise in life and career? And, you know, they struggle with this. And I, because I gave you the five originally in the beginning of uh, the episode of what the five things that are really important to me in life and career. And so I asked them, I said, okay, tell me about your past job. What, you know, what did you like about it? Didn't like about it? Let's start pulling some words. What about in school? What courses did you really like or did not like? And let's pull some words. Same with your social life. And next thing you know, it's about asking why is that important? And I go into a lot of depth and detail. So asking a lot of questions. And that's what I do is I ask a lot of questions. And next thing you know, the person might say, well, family is really important to me. I'm like, okay, why is family important to you? Oh, it's those relationships and connectedness that I have with my immediate family and my extended family, et cetera. And we go down deeper and deeper and I come back. And then I said, well, you use the word relationships and connectedness to describe family. Does that apply to your work environment? Oh, they reply, absolutely. What about in school? Oh, for sure, I need that. 
in your social life? Oh, I, yes. Uh, relationships and connectedness is very important. So I say, can we replace family with relationships and connectedness as one of the things that you're not willing to compromise? And you can change these at any time in your life. But the idea is it really helps you to understand who you are and it gives you the strength to then realize the direction you need to go. I mean, I'm working on about 12 projects right now, but they're not distinct projects. They're not separate. They layer into each other. But anytime something comes up, I compare it to those five things that I'm not willing to compromise. And it provides so much clarity on, yeah, I have to do it. I mean, 10 years ago, I never saw myself as an author. And here I have two books and now writing a screenplay. And, um, you know, uh, about 12 years ago, I never saw myself as lecturing in university. But it hit the five things that I'm not willing to compromise. And it goes on and on. So realizing what's important to you and who you are is a really great foundational piece to realize Again, the diversity that you bring, anybody brings, and the the sort of not just the roots, but the foundation that you are built upon is so important. And it, it provides that clarity to move forward and the fact that it then allows you to accept the fact that, wait a minute, I am kitchery. I'm a blend of flavors. I like that. And it's it's something now I've been uh, working on fleshing out and identifying. It's it's very similar to what you're saying. I mm-hmm. almost probably the same, but I'm calling it values, right? Yeah. Like what my my core values are as a way because mm-hmm. I realized with my business and with with ch- all things ever changing in life, sometimes I'm like I know what I want, but there's it's hard to put words to it. So you have a business plan, right? And I have my mm-hmm. business plan. So I, every time something comes up with business, should I entertain this? Should I not go to my business plan? Does it, does it fit within that? So now what you're saying and the way that I'm applying it, you know, in my way and just sharing this out loud for anyone that it might be helpful for is if we do this in our life mm-hmm. for just ourselves, whether it's for branding for a business or whether it's just for our own personal life direction, Anytime we come to that place of indecision, all we have to do is come back and like you said, does it fit? And if it doesn't fit, well, guess it doesn't fit then, right? No, exactly. Definitely. And and I always think that uh, people are looking for a compass to guide them. When you do what you've talked about, the values, or I talk about the five core elements, you are now the needle. You're not the, you're not having the compass try to guide you. You are the needle that guides and directs you. And when you do hit the five that I'm talking about, the, um, the five core elements, or you hit those values and you're now doing something, you don't have a job or career. You actually hit fulfillment. I mean, it, it just makes so much sense. And I was just even earlier today talking to somebody about this is this fact that, you know, all of these projects I'm working on, for the most part, it doesn't feel like work. Uh, it, I, I enjoy it that much. And, but it's, it's taken me time to get there. And that's the other part I think uh, that's really important to to realize, Heather, is this does take time. You can't rush this process. And it doesn't hurt to have a, a coach or a confidant or someone that is there to share with you. And I always say, you know, there's a lot of noise around telling you what to do. 
you need to find what I call the champions and enablers, the people who are going to ask you questions to activate the voice within to be louder than the noise around you. I agree. And to bolster your point, I think having a coach or a mentor, a guide that is outside of your, because I think a lot of people will go to friends or family. And I, and I think that for anybody that might get mad at me, I don't care. I think it's the wrong thing to do yeah. because I think friends and family have a different type of investment in you as a person. And so their advice is not necessarily going to be the best because they're trying to protect you. And, and, they, and they may not be qualified. Well, that's, yeah, another yeah. big piece that's very true. Would you like to share any mm -hmm. of your 12 projects? Is there anything you want to tell us about what you've got going on now? Yeah, sure. I've touched upon a, like, so the book that I wrote, Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself, decided to make it into a screenplay. So I'm working with a screenwriter to now make it into a screenplay. And maybe it'll hit the movies. We don't know. But I'm going to give it a really good shot. So there's that. Um, the teaching bit, I teach organizational behavior and introduction to business. I love it because it allows me to share stories and share experiences with the students. So it's not just textbook. Uh, I'm working on doing retreats on mindfulness, self-care, and personal development. Uh, working with a few people that are were thinking of doing this in either Zimbabwe or in uh, South Africa. But equally at the same time, uh, with other finding the right people might do it in Sedona. So it's a bit closer to the North American market. Uh, Costa Rica or India would be another avenue. So building out these uh, retreats for four days on these sorts of topics that we've covered. Equally at the same time, I'm working with uh, uh, another university to help them with student engagement, alumni relations, career development, because that's another part that I have is all of this work I've done with universities to become a, a consultant in that. And equally um, trying to build out more, I've got a presence in the Middle East speaking there. So now looking for opportunities to speak to university students and incubators and, uh, you know, maybe doing workshops for some of the companies on alignment. And then on the side, uh, and I believe everybody needs this, is an outlet. It might be cooking, it might be dance, it might be yoga, walks with your dog. For me, it's woodworking. I just find so much peace and calm when, you know, I'm sanding for two, three hours, maybe four hours. I don't know where the time goes, but ideas are coming in my mind because I've just released all my commitments. And then I can just sort of be in the zone. And then you're like, wait, okay, I got to grab a notepad because wait, this idea just came to me and I have to go and do that. So those are some of the things I'm working on. I love how you say on the side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, I think you're right. I, um, everyone has to find their own thing. For me, I don't know that it would be woodworking, but it is working with my hands. Right. So gardening or any yeah. sort of home improvements and building things. And it really does. It's it's you can just immerse yourself in what you're working with. So I always say I wish I had a like a, a, a recorder in my head where I could just like hit hit record and record because some of the thoughts that come, I mean Yeah. It's amazing. Well, and and I mean to your point, Heather, just think of your podcast. It's no different than gardening. I mean, here you're nurturing you're providing uh, the, the nutrients for people's growth and uh, satisfying. Like, in other words, to grow plants, you have to nurture, you have to care for it, much like what you do in life. So it's very much the same. You know, that's interesting. I've never thought of the podcast in that mm -hmm. way, but 
I I always am constantly thinking of how grateful I am because I get to have the most amazing conversations like this one where just, you know, some of the new ideas or some some ideas that aren't new but they're just yeah. phrased in just enough of a different way mm-hmm. to yeah, just trigger some some change in thoughts. Well, and while I was woodworking one day, I just remember it came to me because it was more like my mind was free. And I was like, you know, this pandemic has impacted every single person, every single organization in the world. And I thought to myself, but, you know, how can I contribute back? And instead of looking at it from a a downtrodden, systematic way, I thought, no, you know, how do we move forward? And I came up with this concept. And whether it's an individual, team, uh, organization, educational institution, or nonprofit, I said, there is a need for us to care. But what care stands for, collaboration, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. Collaboration is the fact that, you know, Heather, you have so much rich experiences. I've got rich experiences. Collaborating together, how can we, you know, improve the situation? Adaptability is, you know, people are fearful of change, but we've all gone through change. So embrace change because the magic happens when you're adaptable. Resilience is this whole idea that this isn't a hundred meter dash to the finish line. No, no, this is a marathon. Our life is a marathon. So build the resilience in so that you're able to cope with those moments that are difficult or challenging. And empathy is this idea that we need to show more care and compassion to each other because uh, the world can be a dark place. We don't know what people are going through. So let's show more care and compassion to each other. So we need to care. I like how you have all these acronyms for things, for, for great words. So care and carpe, I'll have to, I'm going to have to re-listen for that one, but it's fantastic. So are you ready for the final three questions? Sure. So the first one is, I like to try to give everyone listening, not me, but have you give them a tiny little action item that mm-hmm. might be helpful. So what I want to ask you is what can everyone listening today do on their own to get more in touch with their own cultural identity? Yeah, I would say, you know, it almost goes back to that cashing in the lottery ticket. You know, it, look at what makes you as an individual and as somebody that you, that approaches you in life, they're there, you know, potentially to guide and support you. Cash in that lottery ticket, drop them an email, connect with them on LinkedIn, or just follow up with them. And it helps you to realize who you are because that person may be inquisitive enough to ask all those questions. So action item on that part is uh, cash in that lottery ticket, that conversation. Okay, I love it. What are five words you would use to describe yourself? Oh, that one, we, we'll just circle back to the original, which okay. is servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. Those five things become my foundation and creates my presence. And as a result, that that really grounds who I am as an individual. And it helps me to realize my journey as I move forward in life. Okay, excellent. And then I'd like to put in the show notes uh, some links on where people can connect with you. Where would you like to send them? Yeah, I mean, easiest thing is go to my website, which is www.sam-theara. So that's T-H-I, 
ara.com. So there's about 185 blog posts of experiences or things that I've written about. Uh, also, if they're interested in the book, it's there or, you know, any number of things that are that I've done. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Okay, excellent. I will make sure to link all of that there. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your immensely busy schedule to to chat and share and share your knowledge. I do think it's so important and I really appreciate it. No, and Heather, thank you for the opportunity of sharing. And if there's any of these insights that uh, helps a listener, then you and I having this conversation was even more meaningful. And that's a wrap for another episode. Thank you so much for listening in. The goal is definitely to inspire you to think more deeply. And I hope today's conversation with Sam did just that. Don't forget to consider your roots and dig a little bit deeper to uncover what we already know is there. One of my favorite things that Sam said today was how we try to parse things out so much sometimes, and we need to really think of ourselves more as watercolors, where all of the colors flow together as opposed to being totally separate elements. Love that. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions that we shared, well, they're ours. We encourage you to do your own research and come to your own fact-based conclusions. Check the show notes for links on how to connect with Diversity on Fire and with Sam. You can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Diversity on Fire. If you are enjoying the show, I would very much appreciate some support and love. So drop us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen that allows reviews. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. Share the show with everyone you know so that they can join the conversation with us. And until next time, don't forget to check your bias and keep the conversation going.